0: Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington, Ohio Church of Christ. We pray that this message will inspire you and help you grow closer to God in your faith. Be sure to stick around after the message to find out more about how you can take your next best step. Enjoy the message. Now, if you don't think uh, men and women are different, um, I've, I've got some news. And if you don't think uh, gender If you think gender is a construct of society, you just have to look at research, empirical research Um, of the last 30 years. You can look at the Scandinavian countries, how they live. So the research of the last 30 years, and the reason why I say it's empirical is humanities researchers and psychologist researchers all lean left. They all come with a presupposed idea that the sexes, male and female, are the same and there's not any difference. And so they're coming into the research with a presupposition that the research reveals is false. And so then they have a choice because the research shows that men and women are different uh, biologically, physiologically, um, psychology, and whatever emotion is, emoticology. And uh, they're just different. We're just different. Research has shown that. Scandinavian countries, they try to get rid of all environmental variables. All environmental variables are removed in Scandinavian countries, and yet the only thing left in the Scandinavian countries is gender variables, and they have the biggest difference in the world in the differences between how men and women act and think and move. They've removed all environmental variables, and so the only thing left is gender variables because by design we are a little different. Years ago, I have this quote. I love this quote. There's this thing that comes this, uh, this cycle, every 20 or 30 years, this has happened. It happened when I was growing up. Toy stores tried to get uh, genderless toys. And so they would remove the boy aisle and remove the girl aisle and just have toys that were genderless. And you know what happened to toy sales? They plummeted. And so then toy stores said, oh, you know what? We need a boy aisle and a girl aisle. There's a reason why that comes up every 20 years, every 30 years. That's happening right now in American culture. Remove, make everything unisex. This is a quote I find that is still relevant for today, even though it was said years ago. A quote Years ago, feminists promoted a unisex culture and insisted men and women are the same emotionally. That idea was short lived because it's so counter to experience. I came across a list that illustrates our differences. It said, You can tell men and women are different by the use of the remote control, the length of time it takes to get ready for bed, the approach to shopping. And how they determine if clothes are dirty. Women by sight, men by smell. Men tie their self-esteem to achievement and women to relationships. Women stop for animals in the road, but men don't. Men stop for a flat tire, women don't. Men never wear other men's clothing or invite other men to go to the bathroom with them. And you'll never see a woman clean her ear with a car key. We are different, end quote. Isn't that true? Aren't those things true? Those statements are true? These gender differences are designed by God, though. Listen to what God's word says in uh, chapter 2. See, the idea is, if we follow the design pattern God made in marriage, we're going to reveal God. The Lord God took the man, this is verse 15, and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, this, this is an incredible statement here. The only description of creation up to this point has been, and God said, and God created, and it was good. This is the only part of scripture, the only part of creation where God says it's not good. There is something not good about man being alone. There is something lacking in maleness that can only be made complete by femaleness. Men are lacking something that can only be made up for in women. And then we get confused on two Hebrew words that are, it's hard to translate into English. These Hebrew words, it's not good for a man to be alone. I will make a helper, there's one word, suitable for him. Now these two words are ones we kind of get confused on, we get hung up on. That word suitable, it kind of has the idea of opposite but the same and not interchangeable. Or the same but opposite and not interchangeable. Think sun and moon. The sun and moon are very similar in what they do for us and how, they, how we react to them. But they're not the same and they're definitely not interchangeable. But they both have a role. They're both important to our whole life. Men and women are different. They're the same, but they're different, and they're not interchangeable. The second word we get hung up on is helper. Now, we get hung up on that word because we use that word like somebody gets to help because they can't do. When I was uh, raising my children, and there was a cabinet that needed to be put together, an Ikea cabinet in our household for the kitchen pantry, well, my kids couldn't do it. Only I could do it, so that meant they could help me. So they get to hold the hammer, get to hold the screws, hold the nails, stand there and hold the flashlight, you know. But that's not what this word means. This was reversed, by the way, in our household not too long ago. My oldest was home from college, and there is a cabinet that needed to be put together for the pantry. And my wife says, just loud enough for me to hear, she's kind of saying, Dale hasn't done this yet, so can somebody else do it? She said, Christian, can you put that cabinet together for me? And Christian said, sure. And so my oldest son, he put it together himself. No help. He just did it. And in reality, it's because I hadn't done it for months and months and months, okay? But this word helper, it does not mean somebody who gets to help because they can't. Because this is the same word we use for God. In Psalm 54, where it says, God is my helper, it's the same root word. God isn't there to help because he can't. No, God has a power and a resource we don't have. That's why he is our helper. Women have a power and a resource men do not have, and when they willingly bring that power and resource over to help their husband, it makes them their relationship complete. There's a couple of ways to use power and resources. You know, I I heard this illustration. I think it's a great illustration. It doesn't necessarily work for me, but it's a great illustration. So when you're raising your kids and they can't do the math, and so they come to the parents for help with the math, (laughs) this is where the illustration breaks down. Supposedly, because I've been through school and I've done the math, I'm able to go help them. Now, there's a way I can use the power and resources I have. One is I can beat my family over the head. How can you not know how to do this? You're not smart enough to do math, and then I do it for them. Or... I take my ability to do math, and I submit it underneath them to help them learn how to do math and excel in math. When God has a resource and power to give us, he loves working through his servants. And so he gives us the strength and power to go serve him. He'll give us faithful endurance The same endurance Christ was given as he went to the cross, he would give to us if we rely on his strength and power. We don't have it, but he does, and that's why God is our helper. Well, when we read here, the Lord God says, it's not good for man to be alone. There's something missing in the man. I will make an opposite but the same deliverer for him is a better translation. And if we image that, we if we follow that design, we end up imaging what God is. Research has shown time and time again that men and women are different. So men are get their self-esteem by accomplishing goals. Women get self-esteem by having healthy relationships, generally speaking. Now, these general terms, these Uh, we want to say stereotypical terms, but it's not just a stereotype. It's just kind of how men and women are different. This is what empirical research has shown. Fits about 75% of men, fits about 75% of women. About three out of every four men follow this pattern. Three out of every four women follow this pattern. It's not that women don't accomplish goals and get self-esteem from accomplishing goals. It's just they're not really wired. And that's three out of four women get more satisfaction out of having a healthy relationship. And three out of four men, it's not that they don't like healthy relationships, it's just they get more satisfaction out of accomplishing a goal. There is something that goes beyond our anatomy where men are, in more, are more gifted to be independent and givers, and women are more gifted to be interdependent and receivers. And it it's, goes beyond our anatomy. But our anatomy shows the same thing. And where men have a gift of sending and women have a gift of receiving, this is a design pattern set up by God. Women are more nurturing than men. Men are more aggressive than women and less agreeable. Men are less agreeable, more aggressive, which reveals, it shows up in why 10 to one ratio, 10 men to every one women are incarcerated. Because men are more aggressive and less agreeable reveals what is going to play out in society. That's why for every 10 men in prison, there's one woman in prison. Women, this is kind of an astounding fact, and it makes sense. Women, beginning at puberty, pick up negative emotions more easily and readily than men. That's why women worldwide, this isn't just a Western United States culture thing, women are three times more likely to experience depression than men are. Because they receive negative emotion. They're more in tune with negative emotion than men are, like to three times the amount. Which, when we start thinking about that, men, what kind of emotions are you laying off? You know, I have, trouble, I have trouble preaching this because I've failed in my marriage following this design and following the commands of this design so often. If, if I know that my wife picks up, generally speaking, three times the amount of negative emotion, and I lay down... Guilt or negativity or anger, well, she's picking that up really clearly. And doesn't this make sense when guys walk around and you say, Hey, what are you thinking? They'd say nothing. And well, there's nothing going on there. But you ask a woman, usually, what are they thinking? There's a lot going on there. Well, they're picking up a lot more emotional feedback than men are. This is by God's design. It's okay that this happens, it's by God's design. But when they come together, What type of situation do you need nothing but achievement and no relationship help? And what type of situation do you need only relationship help, but you never need any goals or achievement? And see, it's not that women don't set goals and don't achieve. It's not that men don't have relationship help. It's just that we're wired a little bit differently to focus more so on one than the other. Well, no situation needs just one or the other. It seems like most situations mean the most, need both. So this could lead to, so here's, here's my point, here's my point. If we follow God's design for men and women in marriage, where men are wired one way and women are wired another, and we keep that design, we image and reflect God's character better than when we don't keep the design. So, and then it immediately leads to the question, well, if I'm, a man and I don't have a wife, can I be made complete without a wife? And if I'm a woman and I don't have a husband, can I be complete without a husband? And the answer is yes. If you read Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, and you never get to Genesis 3, you might see that you might start thinking that the design for every person is to be in a married relationship. But Genesis 3 describes the fall. When that happens, men and women are broken and we no longer are made complete by the earthly relationships we have. We're made complete by the heavenly relationships we have, whether you're married or single. Jesus talks about this when he gets in John 4 and he meets with the woman at the well. The woman at the well is there, and Jesus starts telling her how she can be made complete. She can receive living water. She could have the eternal life right now. And she says, tell me how to get this living water, and he immediately starts talking about her relationships. Why? Why does she say, tell me how to get living water, how to have this eternal peace and joy that you say only you can give, and why does he immediately start talking about relationships? He says, he says, go and call your husband and come back. And she says, I don't have a husband. And then he says, Jesus says, that's right, you don't have a husband. In fact, you've had five husbands, and the man you're living with right now is not your husband. Why does he immediately go to her relationships? He's trying to tell her, he's trying to teach us that our ultimate fulfillment will not come from earthly relationships if we don't have an ultimate fulfillment in our heavenly relationship. He is saying to that woman, and he is saying to us, If you don't make me Lord of your life, if you don't seek me for complete fulfillment, you will never have complete fulfillment in your relationships on earth. You have to make me Lord of your life. You have to make me master of your life. And then you get living water. And then your earthly relationships will fall in line with God's design. Then you'll have peace in your earthly relationships. So the answer is, If you're not married, can you still be made complete? Yes, because Jesus completes us. The answer to if your marriage has problems is not to fix your marriage first, it's to fix your relationship with Christ first and then start working on your marriage. But if we follow God's design for marriage, we end up reflecting God's uh, character. Just a couple more differences between men and women. My father-in-law taught a course, a command sergeant major in the military, about how uh, men and women are different. And why women and men have to have different physical test scores is because men are usually have better upper body strength and women have a little bit greater stamina. Um, men are more spatially aware, research shows, than women, for the most part. That can happen, being aware of your surroundings. My wife is sitting right there. And she backed into the garage today. I'm just saying that sometimes, sometimes these stereotypes, these stereotypes carry over. But they're not stereotypes. They're people. We're people. Men and women are different. But we're made complete in Christ. But if we follow, I didn't know if I was going to bring that up or not, but I couldn't resist. It just fit. It just fit. just fit. We're people. We find our satisfaction in Jesus and our relationship with him. But then we reveal God to others in our relationship with each other. And he has a design for marriage that way. Second is, if we follow the commands of marriage, we will reveal Christ in the church and we'll reverse the curse. We'll start there with reverse the curse. You want to know where, how men and women are designed differently? Look at the curse laid out in Genesis chapter 3 when they fall from grace. When they turn from God and do their own thing. When they say, you know what, I'm not going to trust you to give me good and evil. I want to make good and evil for myself. Look at the curse. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains and childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And to the man, he says, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. You will eat the plant and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you'll eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Look at how the curse hits them. If you don't think men and women are different, why did he curse them differently? If women's desire and ultimate uh, self-esteem is found in healthy relationships, God says, okay, you want a healthy relationship? You'll never have another relationship without pain. And if women are designed more to nurture, and they are... uh, Three out of four women are going to nurture better than three out of four men. You're never going to nurture another relationship without pain. Pain in childbearing and pain in your relationship with your husband. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And that rule over is where sin enters in. It's this word for like when an army goes into a city, destroys it, and dominates it. And this woman's desire for her husband to be with her husband, given by God, it's a, it's a legitimate desire, enables when the man is living in sin to rule over and domination in destructive ways. That's the evil stereotype. The evil stereotype is men have this alpha male hyper masculinity where they dominate with force and women have this hyper femininity and they're a clingy dependent. That's sin. That's not how we were designed, but it is what happens under the curse of sin. And men, if you're self-esteem is by what you can accomplish, well, you're never going to be able to accomplish anything else without strife. And if you desire to be respected, listen, you're nothing but dust. See how the curse hits us right where we're designed. But if we obey the commands in marriage, we actually start reversing the curse. Those commands, uh, it, uh, one, one set of commands that are really clear is in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, it starts this way. This is a command to every person, male or female, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's a command to everyone. And then God gives this command to both men and women, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he tells the woman to submit again, and he tells the man to die for his wife. So men are commanded to submit once, women are commanded to submit twice. And what I think is going on there is there is this idea that every person, every Christian submits because they love Jesus and they're going to act like Jesus. And Jesus showed us a life of submission. But in marriage, there's a specific way on how how to carry out that submission. I don't think it's coincidence that he gives wives two sentences of instructions and he gives men eight sentences of instruction. I don't think that's coincidence I think men just have trouble picking up What's being laid down I'll start with the men Husbands Love your wives Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her Let me start again Everyone, verse 21, submit to one another Out of reverence for Christ But in your marriage, husbands Love your wives just as Christ loved the church And gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. Then Paul Relates this back to creation. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm actually talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Men, listen to this instruction very clearly on how you submit to Christ in the relationship of your marriage. And see if this doesn't start reversing the curse. If part of the curse is you're going to dominate your wife... If you're not careful, you're going to control her just by brute physical force. Listen, that's hyper masculinity, alpha male masculinity. The opposite is also true under sin, which you get rid of all masculinity. That's not what God says. God says, I want you to obey my command for how you're supposed to act in your marriage. And if you are goal driven and assertive and more aggressive, you need to turn all of that into how you can deny yourself so you can lift your wife up to be holy. You spend all of your power and all of your energy to make your wife holy. You accomplish the goal of making your wife holy like Christ did for the church by dying for her. And since Jesus calls us to die daily, it's not necessarily a physical death martyrdom for your wife, but it's a daily denial of your own needs and own desires so that you can lift her up. You see how this reveals Christ in the church? This is what Christ did for the church. He died for the church. He washed the church with the water. He presents her, the church, us, as a beautiful bride to him. Like on our wedding day, no wrinkles, no smudges, no dirt, just ready to be presented to to Jesus. Jesus feeds and takes care of his church And he calls men in the relationship of marriage, you deny yourself, make that your number one goal, it reverses the curse, and all of a sudden it reveals Christ to the world. Women, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, that's for all women, you submit to other Christians out of reverence for Christ, and then in the marriage relationships, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, the church, some churches have taught this incorrectly through the years, and I need to, I'm not going to, we just have to be careful that we don't teach this incorrectly. Some churches have taught, because that, those words, the way they line up, it's, it's easy to misconstrue them that wives must obey their husbands in everything they ask, but that is not how we are to submit to Christ. Christ never asks us to sin. Christ never asks us to go outside of what God has commanded. Christ never asks us to act in a selfish way that dishonors God. And so wives, if your husband is dishonoring you in the way God says and asks you to do something that is sinful, you don't submit to that. That's not submitting as you do to the Lord. Because Jesus never asks us to submit to sin. But there is a call to take your power and resources that he doesn't have and willingly submit under him to make him successful. And if your husband is not asking you to sin, then you really have to consider how you are going to willingly submit to whatever he asks. And yet both are called to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The husband to continually deny himself so that she is lifted up and the wife to willingly submit her power and resources under the husband to lift him up. And you might think, how can anything get done if both are saying, no, you go first, no, you go first, no, you go first, no, you go first. first." It's a beautiful mystery that reveals Christ to the world, Christ in the church relationship and reverses the curse. Women, if your curse is that Every relationship you have is going to have pain. Now, when you willingly submit to your husband, that is not a painful process in your marriage. And husbands, if you part of the curse, curse is you, every every task you take to have is strife, and you're going to accidentally, if you let yourself rule over with an iron fist with brutalness to your wife, when you deny yourself, it breaks the curse. And Christ showed us how to do it. I want to illustrate this with a, an illustration on stage. So here, here's what I asked for earlier for you to consider. I actually need two people. Two people come help, help me illustrate. Hold on. Hold that thought. Hold that thought. I saw your hand up. You, your hand was up first, so I might come back to you. But let me give a little bit more criteria. Okay? I might come back to you. Hold on. Two people, preferably a man and a woman. Even better, preferably a husband and wife. Now, it doesn't have to be husband and wife. And doesn't have to be man and woman, because the illustration is going to work. But that's what I'm looking for. Is there anybody willing to do that? Any husband or wife? I'm looking right here, Tim, at you. Uh, I know your wife is close by. I'm looking right here, Josh, at right, you. I know your wife is close by. Anybody, anybody at all? Anybody at all? Oh, they, they stood up. I, I was coming to you next, Cecil and Kathy. Anybody at all? Now, it's, it's, a, it's a little illustration that we do sometimes in karate class. Uh, that's that's for next time. No, not this time. Not this time. I know this is this is uh, going to be really weird. It, it it requires a little bit of physical exertion, but it's not embarrassing. Okay. I just need both of you to sit back to back on the floor here. You have to figure that out. Okay. Back to back. Good. And lock arms. And uh, the illustration. Okay. The illustration is now you have to stay with your arms locked and stand up. Now, let me ask you, do you want advice or a tip or do you want to try to do it first yourselves? Okay, let's try to see if they can do it first themselves. Just stand up. Careful, careful, careful. Oh, No. Okay, here's the advice. Here's the tip. The person who is stronger has to bow. Keep going. Keep bowing. Now get your legs underneath you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Now, uh, before you sit down, thank you. Yeah, that was great. That was really, really excellent. Here's the illustration. Where, however we're wired, wherever our strength is, if we submit that strength, if we bow that strength, it helps the relationship stand. See how that works? This one had to do with physical strength, but the next one might have to do with emotional strength or relationship strength. And whenever we submit the power and resources we have underneath the other person, we help them stand. Thank you so much. Give her another round of applause for that. And now if you ever come to karate class, you get to know the secret ahead of time. The person with the strength has to bow for it to work. In your marriage, if you, follow, if you follow the commands for marriage, you will reveal Christ and the church and you will reverse the curse. And the, the greatest point that you can take away, the greatest point you can take away, the greatest point you can write down is the one who is in the position of strength must bow. There's a reason why God starts with verse 21 to Everybody submit to one another out of reverence for christ and then how it's going to look in every relationship is going to be a little bit different but we always go back to what christ looks like christ left heaven submitted himself to humanity became a baby submitted himself to death even death on the cross jesus christ made himself so low so he could pick everybody else up that is how every relationship works if you do that in your marriage, you reveal Christ in the church and you help reverse the curse. Thanks again for joining us. If you need someone to pray with you, talk to, or maybe you just need more information about our church, please visit us online at wcconline.org connect. Fill out that connect card so we can reach out and help you take your next best step. Thanks again for joining and we will see you back here next time.